Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, you can't get fooled again. Hey, what's up, everyone? Ben Kissel here. I hope you enjoy this interview with Joe Toscano. This dude wrote a book called Automating Humanity. Uh, we also talk about universal basic income, lack of oversight by the government at tech companies, privacy, big tech, you name it. We talk about it. We are data, and they're trying to collect us, but we won't let that happen. So enjoy this interview with Joe Toscano. Again, his book, Automating Humanity, a wonderful quick read. I have it on the back of my toilet right now, which is true, and that's not an insult. That's where I do most of my reading, and it's incredible. All right, joining me now, he is a former Google consultant and author of Automating Humanity. I tell you, you got to get this book. Joe Toscano is with us. Thank you so much for being on the show, Joe. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to talk to you. All right. Well, I'm excited to talk to you. So, okay. So in your book, obviously, we've seen what's going on right now with Facebook. There's been uh, a lot of added scrutiny to Facebook. Of course, a platform, as I talked about earlier in this episode, that was initially designed so Mark Zuckerberg could meet women. And now there's over 2 billion <laughs> people on it. And of course, its impact yeah. on society cannot be understated. And then we also have what's going on. And I don't really want to go too much in the weeds on WikiLeaks, but we have what's going on now um, regarding Roger Stone and Jerome Corsi, one of Roger Stone's little minions, yeah. uh, and of course their interactions with WikiLeaks in 2015 and 2016 leading up uh, to the election. When it comes to your book, um, what yeah. are the four main components that you want to address regarding this brand new world that we find ourselves living in? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the book, the whole point of the book, right, as a consultant, I was overseeing Google's product ecosystem, uh, helping them strategically market the products, make sure they're ready for standards when they come out mm -hmm. to the market, things like that. So I saw a lot of different things. I also had to know what was going on in the competition to keep them on top. Right. Um, so why I wrote this book was, you know, I think there's a lot of great things happening out there, but I also just think there's a lot of things that need to be thought through better, as right. we're now seeing coming out for the past six to eight months, like on fire. Um, so there's four parts to the book. The first is, what the fuck is happening? Right. Um, because there's so much information out there, um, but it's a lot of it's either like super technical and not accessible, um, or it's just spread across the internet into different pieces, and you have to put the mosaic together. Joe, as an interviewer, I got to ask the question: What the fuck is happening? <laughs> yeah, well, um, 
there's a lot happening, right? Um, some of the biggest issues I like to talk about, I think is most important to people's lives. One comes into like addictive technologies, right? Mm -hmm. The impact that we're having on society, both mentally and physically. Um, right. We are not paying a fiscal cost anymore. We're definitely paying a cost. Right? And those are things that are hard to understand if you don't have visualizations, right. you don't know the intentions or the business model. Uh, another part is the manipulation of news media, information, disinformation. Can we just stay on that point for a second, Joe? When you talk about addiction, because you know that's what I had to get off of Twitter for all intents and yeah. purposes, because I found myself yeah. staying up until six o'clock in the morning, neurotic, um, being compulsive when it came when it comes to checking it. Um, what yeah. is the is there a is, is there a specific algorithm that these platforms yeah. use to to continue to give us the pellet like we're the little mouse in the sure. lab is there a, is there a specific algorithm that they use and if so is it possible for them to tweak it so it's not so addictive sure um, is there a specific algorithm maybe not specific to you um, but I mean operant conditioning right basics of psychology you give somebody a reward for doing a certain behavior that they enjoy, they're going right. to probably continue doing that thing. Uh, and they've really hit that on the head hard, and it's just driving something at a mass scale now. Um, can they pull it back? Absolutely, they can pull it back. Mm. If they can build it, they can unbuild it. Right. Um, but there's no financial incentive to do that at this point in history. Right. Uh, I think that's a problem, right? We have to, we have to address. Uh, so that's something I definitely talk about in the book, where you know, there's, there's also a value to free content, right? We have seen more progress in the last 30 years than we've seen in almost all of humanity, right? Right. Um, but we're also seeing more damage as well than we've ever seen before. Mm -hmm. So how do we find those balances? And I right. think uh, that comes in taking that cost into consideration. Where do we pay for things versus where do we just pay for it in our data? And how does that new economy work? It's, it's right. a really interesting crux, right? Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to, first of all, what are some of the benefits that you've seen? And second of all, um, what have been some, what's the biggest, what's the largest benefit and what's the largest downside to this modern world that we live in, specifically in regards to social media and the collection of our data, which is really who we are as people. That's what, that's when, when we yep. say data, it is who you, you are the data. Yeah. Data is the story of our lives, right? That's really what it is. In the psychology language, it's called residual behavior. Mm. Um, it is behavior that has happened, but is not really conscious on your behalf. You don't really know that someone's tracking you, you just do it. So it's honest, it's true, it is you. Um, but if you take the collective of all of us combined, uh, our, your one timeline may be you, but all of our timelines represent a history of the world, or at least a partial, right? Right. Um, so what, what's gone well? Well, I mean, we have we actually have a lot of things going well. We have more safety than we've ever had before. Like, for example, big thing that people don't even think about anymore, Google Maps lets you get to point A and point B sure. quicker, more efficient, easier, safer than ever before. Um, there's so many of those examples I could bring up. Um, but worst thing, I mean, off the top of my mind, the thing that I'm most concerned about is the automation of jobs and mm -hmm. job loss. Right. Um, that's definitely going to happen. And it's a matter of economics that it happens. Right. So there's no stopping it. Right. But we need to figure this out. We need to deal with it because you can't just force that on society and expect right. people not to fight back. Uh, and, and, and if we don't want to have some kind of 
major issues there. Um, we need to talk about it. You know, it's interesting you bring up uh, automation of jobs. Of course, right now the scapegoat is uh, undocumented workers, which I think is just uh, political nonsense. Yeah. Um, it is obviously automation. Yeah. So what happens when the jobs are inevitably taken over by automation? Do yeah. we have something called a lot of folks now, over 40 percent of the people in this country are in favor uh-huh. of a universal basic income? And the theory of this is uh, if companies are going to automate, then we tax all of their, for all intents and purposes, robots, almost as if they're people. We take those tax dollars and we give those back to the now unemployed people of this country. Yeah. But what does that do for morale? Man. And what are your thoughts on on the UBI? You just you just hit the juice in my book. Um, let me pull that back for a second and, and talk about so okay. the loss of jobs, right? Um, First, I don't think all jobs are going to get automated. Okay. Uh, so I think that's the thing. Um, second, you know, the whole, oh, it must be the immigrants and blah, blah, blah. The thing is, um, in terms of approaching this at a larger scale society, we have to understand that that's a legitimate argument to a lot of people because there are a lot of people who are unaware of this world that we're now entering. Right. right. I'm from Nebraska originally. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm, I'm pretty liberal, dude. But I also grew up around a lot of people who have no need for the Internet or to right. understand it. Mm-hmm. And if you go out into the country, there is no fucking reason to have any idea about what's going on. Right. So when those arguments come out from the media, you can understand why they latch on to that, why they believe it, because in that world, in their world, it is the truth, right? right. Um, that's why I'm trying to paint this picture of why it is a matter of economics and what's actually happening. Because yes, um, it is automation. We had, we definitely had outsourcing for a long time. That's true. Uh-huh. But what happened was then all those people, all those outsourced workers, were saying, "Hey, we're doing work. We want higher wages now too." So they demanded right. higher wages, and then the, the company said, "No, we got robots. Fuck you. Everyone's right. cut out." Um, now, in terms of a UBI. I'll start off high level. I personally don't want a UBI. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that that's the best solution. And I think a lot of people probably don't. Yeah. Right. Um, if you think about what's happening in job loss, it's more than just a job for some people. Right. I think that's a very Silicon Valley mindset of, mm-hmm. oh, I'm just here for the paycheck. Right. right. Maybe it's not Silicon Valley. Maybe, maybe it's a corporate mindset even. Yeah, time. it is. Yeah. Um, um, but there are a lot of people that work for purpose. And I'll give you an example from the Midwest, okay? Okay. Um, corporate farming started to get automated in the in the 90s, right? Um, there was yep. a huge suicide problem in the yeah. 80s, which then kind of dipped down. Um, but due to this corporate automation wiping farmers out and just the wrath that it's been having on the industry, um, what we've seen recently is that um, the suicide rate in farmers in the Midwest is more than 50% uh, increase from what it was at the peak in the 80s. It's right? devastating. And of course, I mean, if we look Someone's at... Someone's purpose, yeah. Right. I mean, if you look at the 1900s, early 1900s, it was roughly 94% of the jobs were in agriculture, farming, those kinds of things. And yeah. now we're, we've cut that yeah. down to 3%. So, But what yeah. happens then? So I understand, because I completely agree, working for a purpose... Uh, I would yeah. I would say that, and you're right, the vast majority of Americans, or not the vast, but the majority of Americans are against a UBI, I think, for that exact reason. Is it possible, yeah. though, if automation does end up happening, which, I mean, it's happening, um, that yeah, a UBI happening. could allow people then, uh, it's hard, because, of course, there's always strings attached when you take money from the government, and we right. see on a regular basis uh, politicians threatening government shutdowns yeah. for this and the other thing, and then, yeah. hey. you got to trust they're going to do the right thing. 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Trust the government to do the yeah. right thing. I, you know, it's not exactly yeah, a, yeah. a bet that I'm willing to make. But is it possible that right. then those individuals um, <laughs> could have uh, capital to participate in more small businesses, like maybe an Etsy or, I mean, hell, even what we, yeah. what we do with the podcast, I suppose that could be sure. a counter argument that that stimulus. Uh, to a population that is not working might incentivize small uh-huh. business growth. Yeah, there's definitely that argument. Um, and there are places that are doing tests on it. Um, the Y Combinator out in Oakland, there's, um, who is it? Uh, Finland is doing something. Italy was trying something. Right. We're running experiments right now. Right. Um, so my, my claim on that is a little bit different. Okay. Um, maybe you can call me a capitalist, whatever you want to oh, say. Oh, that's fine. Nothing but, wrong with um, that. I think, yeah, I mean, I think it, uh, like, Again, I think people do like to work if they like the work, um, and, and I don't think that they should be forced out of that. So something that I'm proposing in the book in order to kind of help slow the process of this um, is tax of data collection and processing. Mm. So not just a UBI, right? Like, so one of the biggest issues of tech, we have all these huge companies that are just elusive. All they need is a Wi-Fi connection to operate. Right. right. They're having these regulations where they're like, yeah, we have a lot of talent in the States, but we could operate cheaper if we're in Dublin. So right. let's just be there. Um, let's avoid all these taxes. Or like Amazon, let's move into an Ugh. economy and get all the tax breaks we can and then fuck the workers. Oh, my right? God. Yeah, I, I want to talk to you just uh, – uh, please finish your thought, but I do want to talk to you about Amazon coming to New York because I am devastated uh-huh. by it. But uh, continue your thought. Yeah. Yeah, so um, the thing is, right – if you create a data collection processing tax, now this isn't going to be an easy thing. This is going to take some time and a lot of thought beyond just me coming out of my mouth, right? Um, but it could be something where with automation, what is doing the work? Okay, with robots, it's kind of easy. You can right. see they're doing the labor of physical workers. So you can tax that. It's still going to be a different argument because robots can work four times the amount of work each year. Um, but when you get into software automation, what mm. the fuck is doing the work? It's just a, a code base, and it's infinitely scalable. It works forever. Right. right? How do you tax that? Um, that's right. where data collection processing, I think, comes in, right? Okay. Because who's training those systems? It's all the people. It's all of us. Every time we interact, every time we feed it data, we are doing work for the companies. The reason right. they've scaled so fast, the reason they're so efficient and powerful is because they've turned billions of workers across the globe into unpaid laborers, right? Okay. Mm. Now you have the work. Let's tax it. You tax the data collection processing. What that does is it incentivizes anti-monopoly behavior. It says, hey, you can collect all the data you want. You can acquire all the companies you want for their data sets, um, but you're just going to pay higher taxes if you want that. Right. Um, it incentivizes ethical levels of data collection processing. So you can collect all the data you want, but why do you need that? Or so- if you don't, then why are you holding it, right? When, when you talk about monopolies, do you so you think something like the power of Facebook, two again over yeah. two billion uh, users, active users. Yeah, yeah. Um, how uh-huh. would this? So you think that Facebook would would cap or limit the amount of users that they allow on their platform if they had to pay? Uh, X amount of dollars for each new individual who is then coming onto their platform and giving that data, which again is the the fuel of this entire thing. So that was the third point, right? Uh, that I hadn't got to, but if you tax data collection processing, you're going to force these companies to figure out a legitimate revenue model that is not just attention-based or investment dollar-based, right. right? Because you have huge corporations that are running on negative, right, in their bank account. They're actually not making yeah. money for 
years or decades. Can you tell me about this? Because I I do not understand this. Like, let's just take Netflix, for example. It's my understanding that they're billions of dollars in debt. It's my understanding that Amazon doesn't turn a profit. How the hell, just in my my brain of just someone who grew up middle class with a truck driver dad, (laughs) stay-at-home mom, I just always remember yeah. tax day was really difficult, and I remember them being yeah. like, well, we, now we uh, we have a surplus of $3,000 we can spend, which wasn't a lot for a family yeah, of five yeah. after you know all bills are yeah. paid and whatnot. How the hell are sure, these companies yeah. able to constantly run deficits and build a new freaking factory, for example, like Amazon is doing here in New York? Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah, so you want to know why? Uh, it's called investor capital, right? Uh, investor capital is money that is given to companies based on a story that they tell. Right. Mm. It's a hope for the future. Um, the thing is, what that allows is like Amazon, for example. Well, I think Amazon might be an easier to understand example because they exist in the physical world in many ways. Right. Um, let's let's think of this. OK. Amazon last year bought Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. Right? We all saw that. Right. Um, what they did is they bought 460 locations in the target demographic of their audience. Right. So they are already like, boom, we're in. Right. As opposed to like traditional stores that might have had to build a store, fund it, work, then open other stores as they build capital. Amazon right. did it inverse. They didn't own anything. They sucked up a bunch of money and or got a ton of investment cash. They said, fuck it, we're just going to buy them. And we right. got it now. Okay. Then they're running Amazon Go stores right, to test out getting rid of employees for the most part. Um, what happens when they install those at scale? It's going right. to cut out the cost to the store either from their bottom line or from their worker's pocket. And right. either, either way, that's not sustainable. They squeeze out businesses, right? right? Um, they've also, they're also doing their own logistics with uh, shipping, cargo ships, uh, planes, all that stuff. And they have patents for automated roadways, how they can do automated deliveries that way. What right. they're going to do is create an automated subscription model to the basic needs of our lives. Why investors are tossing ass loads of cash at that is because then they own the marketplace, Right, they will strangle out everyone else. Right, if they are allowed to, just like they did the publishing industry. Right, right, absolutely. I mean, publishing is. They've already done it. They can say to PR all they want. Oh yeah, we're not doing that. We're not building a logistics company. We're not going to take over USPS. We're not until it's done. Then they're like, Yeah, we did. Right. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. 
That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. When booking with other vacation rental apps sounds like this. This place doesn't look like the pictures. Ah, is there a door behind all those spiders? It's time to try one that sounds more like a vacation. Ah, this is perfect. Relax, you booked a Verbo. How are these monopolies just allowed to flourish so well? How were they allowed to just run roughshod all over this country? I mean, it killed radio with what Clear Channel did. What's going on with regards to policy? Yeah. Do you have any insight into that? I mean, well, you got to, I mean, from a business perspective, right? From an investor's perspective, it's brilliant business. It really is, right? right. That's why they're tossing cash. They toss cash, it turns into a hundredfold or whatever it is, you know? Um, from a regulations perspective, there. do you know much about antitrust law? A little bit. I'm not an expert, um, but I'm sure that you can inform me more. Yeah. So again, I'm not a lawyer either, but I've done a lot of reading into this in order to make this book happen. Uh, a lot of research talking to a lot of people. There's three main pillars to antitrust law, right? Mm. One is price. One is um, the destruction of the marketplace. And the other is free trade of goods. Those okay. are the three pillars. Um if, if you are eliminating free trade of goods and you are destroying a marketplace, but you are lowering the prices, historically we found that regulators will allow it to slide. They, mm. they, they generally say, well, price is what's best for the consumers. So the reason why it's run so rampant is because these companies have lowered the price essentially to zero in many right. ways, right? Um, but like we just talked about, we have a new attention marketplace. That's what they've created. They're not running on fiscal capital like we used to. Right. They're running on the scale of human workers and human minds. So we have to re-understand what this law really means, right? Price mm. is not the fiscal price anymore. It's attention. So if you think about their mm. business model, right? Like let's sit back and figure out the big crux of this, which is price. Mm -hmm. Their business models are to get more attention, which then through engagement turns into data, which then they turn into money. Okay. Mm. Now, the way that the way that marketplace is operating right now, attention is an illegitimate and corrupted currency. Okay. It's not like oil that we trade at 275 a gallon, right? It's not like a $20 bill I can hand to anyone who has an equal value. They set the value on what attention or data is worth. Okay. And they manipulate it to the best of their bottom line because they own that data. So they have this illegitimate currency. They're turning into a legitimate business model, rushing it through a legitimate business model, right, mm -hmm. of data brokering and product creation, and then turning it into legitimate cash. In that mindset, it's not so different than money laundering. Inter so just in my, in my layman's uh, understanding of this, so the price, yeah. the tangible price, let's just say of a loaf of bread, let's just say it's gone down yeah. to a dollar and 50 cents, but the human yeah. cost of that is actually far higher once you take into account mm -hmm. the data collection and once you take into account uh, that they're making money off of the engagement with you as a person, not you just purchasing this product. Sure. Let me let me make it a little bit more tangible. Um, like Amazon's data, for example. Uh, Amazon runs Amazon Basics, right? Amazon owns its own product services. So with data, what can they do with data? Right. Okay. Data, they own the marketplace. They see, hmm, it, sound, it looks like we're selling... 200 million 
envelopes every year. We could produce those envelopes for cheaper, and hmm, we run the logistics company and the marketplace, so we could also do that cheaper. Let's just see how everyone's operating. Let's watch them for a couple years. Let's see what their price points are, how they're marketing it, all that, and then we'll just make the ideal based on all the data that we own from you creating it. Right. Then they wipe out the envelope industry because they own that market. Okay, so that's a, that's an example of how okay. leading data can lead into more control of the marketplace. Sure, okay. Um, but then, now now let's move beyond this whole money laundering because I'm not trying to point a crime at them. I think they've actually just created a new marketplace. But I'm just you know trying to let people understand that there's danger, right? To to look into it. Sure, sure. Of course. Um, the the next point though is right. We all know that they are creating addictive services. Why do you create an addiction? You create an addiction to get more engagement. AKA, you're trying to raise the attentional cost. Now, we talked about the prices, right? We used to have fiscal prices. They've lowered it to zero. Now, they're operating on the attention marketplace, and when they create addictive services, they're actively and intentionally raising that attention price as high as possible. Hmm. They are trying to skyrocket that attention cost. So, going back to monopoly law, in terms of price gouging, they are actively and intentionally price gouging in the new marketplace that they have created and regulators are incapable of understanding. That's why they're getting away with it. Okay, so they are price gouging who we are as people, basically. The data, we create the data, and, and how does that, yep. can you give a, a just a clearer, like what's a real world representation of, of that point um just so we can try that impact that price yeah like that price because you think about price you think about a sticker on a package and 9.99 yeah. or something like that can you can you just explain yeah. that a little bit because it's it's just such sure. a i mean i understand uh to some degree why the abstract, government is yeah. it's abstract and i understand the government's a clunky titanic uh and now all of a sudden yeah. they're just being hit with these speedboats just passing them yeah. left and right and yeah. they don't know what the hell to do yeah yeah yeah, like the government, like everyone shits on the government and, and they do have their problems, but we have to understand like they are smart people. They were put in office for a reason, most, mostly, mostly. Sometimes, right? sometimes not, um, but yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, we're just going to, what is a blanket statement for like, years? It, it, in, in theory, right? We're going to assume they, they know the <laughs> Yes. Yes. They know the laws generally, okay? Um, yes, exactly. They're moving faster than ever before. It is a new world. They know the old world and we need regulators for the new world. Um, what are some of the impacts? Yeah. So three three pillars here, right? What price are we paying? Um, three pillars I list is um, physical deformities. We're starting to see postural deformities mm. in people, not just, right? It's called uh, Dowager's hump, and it used to be found only in old women with osteoporosis. Hmm. Now it's being found in children, in wow. children, like commonly. What that is is because you spend your time bent over looking at a device, your body sends calcium to that area to try to reduce the inflammation. Wow. If you don't change anything, it calcifies the area, and you forever have a hump on your neck and you're bent over. We're literally seeing postural deformities. That reminds me of, I think it's more of a joke shirt, but it's like the evolution of man, as it, and then we have man finally standing, and then the final yeah. piece is man hunched over a computer. It's not a joke. It's real now. Okay. Uh, science is backing that. Um, you're seeing sleep disorders, right? Sleep disorders in the sense where... When you're staring at your device, whether that's your phone, your computer, your TV, whatever, um, you're getting blue light emitted to you, um, which is then reducing your melatonin release in your body. Mm. So it's throwing off your circadian rhythm and not allowing you to sleep. And so what's going on there is that people are having sleep disorders. Right. We've seen sleep disorders increase like crazy. 
They weren't yeah. even a problem with the Mayo Clinic for a long time. And in 2015, they became the number two issue. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. Okay. Um, third, third point, you're seeing incredible increases in loss of purpose, loneliness, depression, detachment, all these things. Hmm. Right? Science bases all these things. And when you combine that, right, you have these people who are partially uh, – they're, they're in pain, quite literally, that causes pain, right? right. Um, they are losing, losing sleep, which is linked to a lot of different mental disorders. Sure. They are having increased depression, all these other mental disorders. You combine that, you have a society of people who is mentally ill and in physical pain. There's no wonder why we're so upset. Interesting. So isn't that one of the ultimate ironies of social media is that it has made people feel less connected than ever before? Right. Yeah. We're, we're in our devices so much that we don't pay attention to the world around us. Right. Um, and I think with technology, there is an opportunity to get away from that. Right. There's actually great ways that we can get people away from screens, but there's no fiscal reason to do that right now. Right. So they're not going to budge. That's the problem. Right. Well, what would be so, Joe, and again, the name of Joe's book, Automating Humanity, I highly recommend you go out and buy this. I mean, this is just fascinating. So let's just sort of pivot a little bit because it sounds kind of dire, a little bit sad in many ways. Yeah, what yeah, are, yeah. How is yeah. there a way, because of course in this capitalist society, this late stage capitalism yeah. that we're in, I, when I say I'm a capitalist, I am, but I also believe in rational responsibility um, and we have sure, to sure. Uh, put people yeah. first. Um, what is a yeah. way... To structure this in a so that these businesses can continue to turn profit, but they don't yeah. put our health at risk. Sure, sure. Um, well, I think one of the biggest is going to be driving consumer demand, right? That's what I'm really trying to do here. Um, I'm not out to make tons of money off this book. That is not my goal. You don't make money off making books anymore. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to help people understand the inside, you know, in a declassified way. Um, to say, hey, here's what you you're upset here's the words you need to use to demand more of these companies, right? Um, because it's something like you've said multiple times throughout this talk, like people just don't even know what to say or how to think about it. They have no context. Right. And that's okay. They're not dumb, right? It's like I tell people in the Valley, you know, if you go to the Midwest, yeah, they ask for experts when it comes to computer problems. But you in the Valley, you ask for experts when you need to change your tire, right? Exactly. They're not dumb. It's just a different, different way of life. So I'm trying to, you know, Growing up, I was a huge nerd in school. I was always bullied. Um, everyone cheated off my tests. I'm just giving you the notes, man. I'm right. just giving people the notes. And here's how you can understand it. Here's what you need to ask your politicians. And as politicians, here's the questions you need to start asking these companies. Right? I'm not pointing at any crimes directly. But. Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you as someone who cheated uh, regularly in school off my friend Charlie, who was much smarter than me. <laughs> uh, thank you for what you do. Yeah. I'm sure you helped a lot of people get through high school uh, and middle school yeah, yeah. and probably yeah. college as well. What what question, yeah. what is a, a one question or a series of questions, what question should these yeah. politicians be asking? As you watch this, what's sure, going on with sure. Zuckerberg talking to Congress, all this stuff, sure. what questions did, did you not hear where you're like, you're totally missing the mark? Ask this question. Yeah. So there's a lot, but I'm going to give you one that I think is going to just like kind of blow mine in a, in a small sense that gets really overwhelming. Okay. So <clears throat> when you make a call on Facebook messenger right now and you hang up, um, it gives you a feedback rating system. It says, can you give us feedback on how the call was? And it's five stars, right? Uh, the options are poor, 
fair, good, very good, or excellent. Okay. Um, and just stating that, do you do you see the problem there at all? No, I don't. Okay. So, and most people don't. I even put it up on screen. I lay it out, and people are like, oh, all the stars look the same. Or like, there's only five options. Like, right. No, no, no. The problem is it goes poor, fair, good, very good, and then excellent. Right. There are four options that are not bad. Right, right. right. So okay. What they're doing in asking a question that way is they're skewing the data to their business's interest, right? If Zuckerberg mm. had to go to Congress and Congress says, hey, do people like the messenger experience? Zuckerberg could legally and honestly say at least 80% of people think it's fair or better. Right. right. Now, that's a problem. This is something I can't talk about publicly, right? But the thing is, if that is a public-facing question, we need to begin to ask what questions were asked internally that led to that getting released publicly? Right. Yeah. That's that is that's absolutely fascinating. So the data, uh, like when Zuckerberg, as you just mentioned, talks about this stuff, it's not that he's lying. It's mm-hmm. that the entire sample, the all of the data, is it's just framed could in a skewed. way. Yeah, it can be skewed. Could be skewed. Mm-hmm. It could be. We don't know. We don't have access to it. So a question a politician could ask him is, uh, I, I suppose could they change their star program or how you know how you how you rate it or how you gauge it? Is that something that the government yeah. what might when we talk about regulations uh, sp- specifically sure. when it comes to Facebook, it looks more and more likely that there will be some regulation, which I am fine with as long yeah. as it makes sense and yeah. it's not just some stupid yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So would you like Absolutely. to see them? So that that could be something tangible. Uh, that they could change to get more accurate feelings about their product. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, again, I don't know that the government's going to be the ones to lay down that law and to implement it uh, because, you know, the government's kind of lost. But I think that what we need is we need the government to say, okay, it's time that we implement some auditors. We find Mm. some people who are technical enough to understand these systems and to go in and search them out and give the public a thumbs up. That's what I'm trying to do um, with designgood.tech, my nonprofit, right, to complement to the book uh, with real-time information and solutions. Um, long-term, I'm trying to hopefully turn this into a design auditing organization. I can go in, and my team could go in, audit the design patterns, make sure there's nothing manipulative or addictive going on. Um, I can see what data points they're collecting, how it's being used, and then I can give the public a thumbs up on what's good and what's not. Right. Uh, and also what I'm trying to do with it is um, create some social responsibility. So what I would do when I'm working with or trying to work with is I could go to these companies and after I do this audit, I can create a plan with them to say, hey, understandable, you're in a, you're in a crux right now. You need to fix it. It's not going to happen immediately. But let's set a two, three, five-year plan, whatever that is, and then let me post publicly what I can post so the public can see, okay, these are the issues that Facebook agreed are wrong right? or whoever the company is, right? Um this is the steps they're going to take to get the problem solved. And this is the timeline, right? Just something like that. Something the public can come to the site and be like, okay, changes are coming. Right. Right. Um, Cause right now it's, it's all internal and um, we've let that go for a long time right. and it created a lot of innovation and there's a lot of good that has been created. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're just at the point where we need external auditors, people who right. come in who um, don't have the internal pressures of trying to get a raise um, people who aren't, you know, focused on moving the budget, you know, billions of dollars, which is, for lack of better words, modern diplomacy, right? Right. Um, we need we need independent people that know the shit enough to speak up and to help the public, help the government, help us all out. Right. You know? 
Um, because Excellent. we don't want it to get too strict. We don't want it to get too strictly regulated. Of course, absolutely not. Like, right. And then we'll push innovation out of our country. Yep. We will stifle ourselves economically. We don't want that. Exactly. You know, I'm not a regulate the shit out of them, but the, there are certain things we can do um, that will change this greatly. Awesome, man. Yeah. Well, thank you so much yeah. uh, for being on the show, Joe. I, I mean, I have a lot more. Yeah. We could we could talk further, but perhaps we should just have you back yeah. on a little bit later to talk about what's going on. We should just follow this Facebook situation and what's happening, you know, yeah. with, with Twitter and all this stuff. I mean, it's it's just total madness. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I'm getting so much stuff right now because the book's launching, all this stuff's happening. So I need to take some time to catch up on the news, the more immediate news. Um, cause the book just launched last week. Um, so awesome. that's really exciting, but yeah, I would love to come back on and we can do more recent updates and get more into the weeds of things. And, um, yeah, man, keep me in touch and let me know. Absolutely. That is Joe Toscano, author of automating humanity. Go out there and get this book. I mean, it is just, it's strange. You know, when we think about like the movie, the matrix, and we think about how it's yeah. like everyone was just feeding off their energy was feeding off of tangible babies in utero. But I mean, in reality, it's kind of like that. We're not obviously in, um, uh, you know, in utero, but yeah. uh, it, it does seem like we're all just sort of feeding this massive beast. We're the batteries. Yeah. Yeah. You know, right now it, it feels bad. Um, it's not as bad as we make it out to be. It is bad, but, um, the reason I'm doing it is I think we have plenty of hope, and I think there is positive yeah. to come out of this. Awesome. We just need to start moving. You know? Yes, so, absolutely. Yeah. It's a whole new world. Let's do it. All right, Joe Toscano, thank you so much for being on the show, brother. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, there it was, our interview with Joe. I hope you learned something. I hope you enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, man, I mean, these are the questions. These are the issues that we will be facing, not in the future, but we are facing right now because the future is here. And uh, it's something that we're going to need to shape, I think, hopefully for the better. Thank you all so much for listening. Really appreciate you. Hail yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.